Taking the shot down the sideline. Caught by DJ Moore. Holton Hill on the coverage. It looked like Holton Hill got away with a pass interference, and it didn't even matter. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Draft Daily. I'm your host, as always, Elliot Chris. We got another special guest for you today, Marcus Mosher. He's a wide receiver and tight end scout for Bleacher Report. He's host of Locked On Cowboys, and he's a writer for Pro Football Weekly. Marcus, how we doing today, man? Doing well, Elliot. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm excited to talk DJ more with you. Yes, yeah, this is uh, probably my favorite player in the class so far, so I'm excited to get into it. You said he's one of your favorite players, so what do you think his greatest strengths are? Yeah, so when I first turned on the film, I just saw a guy that, first of all, he, he plays with some terrible quarterbacks. I, I challenge you to find a, a receiver in this class that played with a worse group of quarterbacks. Uh, I went back over the last two years and looked at his quarterbacks that he's played with, and he's played with eight different quarterbacks at Maryland. Um, I, I just loved how how much he competed on every single snap. He's a guy that once he gets the ball in his hands, he doesn't have extreme quickness, but his ability to make plays after the catch with his strength. Um, he has a little bit of long speed. Um, I, I, I love the way he can dominate on the short to intermediate routes. He also can make plays down the field. Uh, there's just very few weaknesses in his game that I see. Um, he's just a really fun player, a really productive player that I think is going to be a, a, an even better player at the next level. When I watch this film, the thing that stands out to me, I think he has fantastic body control. He catches the ball really well in traffic. He's willing to catch the ball and absorb contact, especially over the middle of the field. Uh, so those yeah, are He's all- not afraid of contact. Not at all. Exactly. So those are all traits that get me excited about him. I mean, he's, he's an interesting size for a wide receiver, right? 5'11", 215, kind of a guy that makes a lot of contested catches. Isn't exactly something mm-hmm. you see. I know that some people have mentioned he's more the size of a running back, and maybe that would be kind of an H-back role for him. Is that something you see at all? I don't think so, because he's a guy that I think wins on the outside with his receiving ability. I I don't see him as this dynamic runner that you can use out of the backfield like Percy Harvin or uh, Ty Montgomery. He's an outside receiver in the NFL, and I think with the way the NFL is trending, with having smaller guys on the outside, guys that can create quick separation and make plays after the catch, he's the perfect fit as a Z receiver in today's NFL. If you need him to come down in the slot, he can do that. If you need him to be an X receiver, he can do that. Uh, I wouldn't mess with him in a backfield. We did see this year a little bit. Maryland used him out of the backfield as a receiver a couple times. But in the NFL, I think his greatest play or his best play is going to come as an outside receiver. Yeah, I agree that I wouldn't change his position. My general rule of thumb with changing someone's position is if you don't have to, you shouldn't do it because those he don't he doesn't have to. He, right. He's absolutely good enough as a pure receiver that you don't have to move him in the backfield. Now, if there's a team that wants to experiment with that, I'm sure that he's capable of taking a couple carries and catching the ball on swing routes and all that kind of stuff. But he absolutely does not have to move inside. I think it's a good point you made earlier about the quarterback and how bad they were, and I think he had four this year, right, and still ended up with 1,000 yards. I think his final numbers this year were 80 catches for 1,033 yards and eight touchdowns. One other quick stat on his uh, quarterbacks. The most passing yards that Maryland had in game this year was 255. So it wasn't like they were throwing the ball all over the field. So that that puts his pass or his reception 
in his receiving yards a little bit more in two perspective. Yeah, if I had to challenge you for who had a worse quarterback, Calvin Ridley would be the guy that came to mind just because, <laughs> you know. Yeah, those guys are bad. Yeah, Hertz, Hertz was pretty bad, and the next leading receiver had 13 catches on the year. But, yeah, no, this is certainly not a competition that anybody wants to win in terms of how bad the quarterback play is. You said you don't see many weaknesses in his game. One thing that I found on film is that he can have trouble separating and kind of get stuck with the corner in his hip pocket. I don't think he's decisively quick i don't think he's going to kind of create a lot of separation is that something you're worried about yeah and that's the number one knock that people have on dj morris they don't believe he creates enough separation against premier talent we saw it uh earlier in the year uh when he was playing michigan and wisconsin and ohio state he had a little bit uh, of a problem separating in those games but the reason i'm not concerned about this is i've actually talked to a couple guys at maryland he was much better early in the year with the shorter routes creating that instant separation and then he hurt his ankle in the indiana game and that kind of messed him up the rest of the season assuming that he's healthy you know in his rookie year i don't see that becoming a big problem it's never going to be a strength of his he's never going to be this guy that creates a bunch of uh, you know a, a ton of separation right off the right off the bat but I certainly don't see it as a weakness going forward. I think that brings up a really good point whenever you watch anyone's film is you want to understand their health. Because just yes. throwing out another guy, and this is getting a little off topic, but like on Johnson this year had a hamstring injury and an ankle injury. Yes. And you could watch a game of on where he looks like he should break a 60-yard run and he gets caught from behind because his hamstring basically gives out. And you could watch that and be like, well, I guess he doesn't have any breakaway speed. So you really want to keep those injuries in mind. I actually uh, wasn't aware of that ankle injury, so that I'm going to go back and rewatch some of that stuff and compare before that game and after that game to see what the difference was. Because I had legitimate concerns about his ability to separate. Oh, yeah, real quickly, just let's look at his September games this year against Texas: seven catches, 133 yards. Uh, next game against Towson: seven catches, 97 yards, and then Central Florida: eight catches, 83 yards. Eight catches, 90 yards against Minnesota. Fantastic in the first month of the season. Uh, hurt that ankle a little bit later on during the season, and it severely hurt his production. Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, at the same time, you could argue that the better competition came later in the year. He didn't really go that much against Mike Hughes at UCF. It's a fair point. So I think it's probably – is it fair to say it's probably a combination of the two? Yeah, I would think so. And – Here's the thing. He needs to improve on his ability to win off a press. And I, we saw later in the year um, against Michigan and Michigan State, the teams came up and they challenged him there. And they knew that the quarterback play was not good enough to beat them down the field consistently. So I, I do think it's a combination of the both. But again, I don't have any long-term concerns about him getting off press because, listen, he's a young guy. He he battled through injuries, and he was able to be productive even though teams knew the, how bad the quarterback play was. So I'm not concerned about him long-term uh, creating separation off the line of scrimmage. One other thing about separation is that people talk about separation and just assume that people mean – you know how far away they are from the defender but creating throwing windows is another aspect of a separation right so if you have body mm -hmm. positioning and you can catch the ball through traffic it's a form of separation and that's something he can do so i don't sure know if i necessarily agree that he's a separation kind of distance from the corner is going to be an issue but i do agree that his contested catch ability can make up for some of that and you know whenever we talk about a guy we always want to talk about we're projecting him for the next level and we're not just assuming that he's a finished product. And DJ Moore is the second youngest receiver, I believe, in this draft class, right? Yeah, the only one is younger is Dante Burnett from USC. 
And I know you have a lot of thoughts on breakout age and stuff like that. So can you share some of that? Yeah. So if we use college dominator, which is basically anytime uh, or how much of an offense a receiver accounts for and breakout age the first year that a receiver, I believe, accumulates 30% or is it 20, 20% dominator rating? Uh, those two numbers are pretty predictive as to how good a receiver is going to be in the NFL. Um, and when you just get a guy that is this young and that was this dominant uh, at Maryland at a Power 5 school, it's awfully hard to see him failing in the NFL. Now, you can talk to me maybe out of him being a number one receiver, but this is a guy where the metrics absolutely back up what we see on tape. This is a, a phenomenal prospect who probably shouldn't get out of the first round in the actual NFL draft but might just because of his lack of size. Do you mind if I play devil's advocate for a second on the breakout age? Absolutely, go ahead. So I think that whenever we bring up metrics, context becomes extremely important. So my question for you is, do you view all that stuff on the same level? Because one of my issues with it is that that's assuming that all offenses are similar all offenses are playing similar schedules. You know, I think that kind of thing works better on the NFL when everyone's playing at the professional level. But it can be hard for a guy at, say, an Alabama or an LSU to have, you know, high scores in those areas because they're only passing the ball 18 times a game and they have one-read quarterbacks and things along those lines as opposed to a spread offense or something like that. Right. Well, the, the college dominator factors into that because it's your overall percentage of a passing offense. So if you are on an offense that throws the ball 20 times a game, it's actually easier to dominate on your target. So if you're catching five of the 20 targets, you're more likely to have a higher dominator score. So that's why I love that stat is because it does factor in your offense. Uh, you know, a guy like um, James Washington at Oklahoma State put up fantastic numbers. But when you compare his dominator score with DJ Moore, DJ Moore was actually a bigger part of the Maryland offense than what James Washington was at Oklahoma State. So that's where I like to use the dominator. And here's the thing. There's no one stat that's going to show you that a receiver is going to be great. I I don't care what you come up with. There's never going to be one single stat that shows a guy is going to be great. So what I like to do is use a combination of things. And that's why we have the college dominator rating and the breakout age and the phenom index. And then plus whatever we see on tape. So for me, it's always been try to use a little bit of everything, a little bit of the film, a little bit of the analytics to put things together, your evaluation together. And then at the end, it's kind of a gut call with how you feel about some of these receivers. Yeah, I was talking to Mike Clay recently, and we were saying the same thing, that everything plays a part. You know what I mean? You can't just take a number and say, okay, so this is who's good. And you can't just take film and ignore all numbers, and you can't completely ignore the combine. And you can't just say, okay, that guy ran fast in the 40s, so now he's a good player. Like, they're all pieces to the puzzle. And I think that's really important whenever you look at anyone. But when DJ Moore has good film and good body control and good ability to make catches and has run after the catch ability, I don't think we really talked about that, but his strength and build at 5'11", 215, and we talked a little bit about a running back. One of the reasons you talk about that is his ability to run through contact and ability to make plays in space. So when you have all these factors pointing for you, you know, there's a lot of signs going in a good direction. Do you have a comparison that you like for him? Yeah, so my comparison for him is Steve Smith. And now I know a lot of people, I've been saying this on Twitter, I've been comparing these two. A lot of people come into me saying that, you know, Steve Smith was a fantastic athlete and DJ Moore is probably not going to be that. And I, I understand. But for me, it's the play style. 
DJ Moore is not going to go down easily. This is a guy that's going to fight for every yard. He plays with that edge. He plays with that my ball mentality despite his uh, diminutive size. I just think he's going to be a really good energy or you know guy that has brings a lot of energy to your team that brings that physicality to your receiving core. Um, I think a you know a poor man's version of Steve Smith would be a fantastic player for DJ Moore in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, any version of Steve Smith is probably going to be a pretty good NFL player. Sure. My my only issue with that, just in terms of a trait standpoint, is I think that Smith separates a little bit better. So I almost think DJ Moore is like an outside version of Jarvis Landry. I don't know how you feel okay. about that, but in terms of the physicality that you talked about, the ability to catch through traffic, not necessarily a burner, but a guy that's going to make a lot of plays for your offense and kind of really fire the team up. You know, some of those plays where... You throw it to a receiver and he picks up four yards and it's third down and he breaks two tackles. They do a lot more for the game than the, the stats would indicate. And I, that's how I feel about Jarvis Landry. So when I watch DJ Moore, I kind of think he's an outside version of Jarvis Landry. Maybe a more athletic version of Jarvis Landry? Yeah. Right? Yeah, because, I mean, so at it, the end it, of the day, if you, put, if you put Landry on the outside, he probably needs to be a little more athletic. So that works. And that's fine. And I think that's that's a really good player in the NFL. And we're going to see here in a few weeks what the NFL thinks of Jarvis Landry. And I think it's going to be funny to watch uh, Twitter's reaction to this because I think the NFL is going to value Jarvis Landry a lot more than what maybe the analytics or the NFL fans do. So, yeah, I don't mind that comparison at all for DJ Moore. Yeah, Landry gets into a whole average depth per target and air yards and the value of all that and the fact that different receivers do different things. And that podcast probably takes about four hours to get through. So we'll, we'll <laughs> save that one. Do you have an ideal landing spot for DJ Moore? So here's the thing. I, I think ideally you would want DJ Moore to be your number two outside receiver uh, in his first few years. So a guy that can play on the outside opposite of a number one. And if you need him to kick down inside to the slot, you can do that as well. I think the Bengals make a lot of sense for him in the second round. Let him be the guy opposite of A.J. Green. Um, I don't know what you can expect from John Ross going forward, but if John Ross turns out he can be your slot or outside receiver, you can kind of mix and match D.J. Moore. I think he would fit well with Andy Dalton's skill set. I think that's a place where he could come in right away and produce. So I, I think the Bengals are a pretty ideal spot for him right now. That's interesting. Just because you think a team that drafted a wide receiver in the first round last year is probably going to have to use what do they pick top forty in the second round? That's probably where they would yeah. target him. So I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. It would be an exciting tandem, and you know you would add speed and toughness, and and then AJ Green, who's just kind of everything. And I think it would be a hell of a receiving core. The team that I kind of thought of was the Washington Redskins. I'm a fan of Josh Doxson. I'm, I think Jamison Crowder's got a lot of game to him. I think they need that secondary option uh, on the I outside. Like and I think that he would complement Jamison Crowder's ability to work underneath and Josh Doxson's kind of big play vertical game. And they would become a very dangerous team in the red zone in terms of two guys that could win contested catches. Yeah, look, no matter where you say with where DJ Moore is going to go, I'm going to love the fit because I love the player and I think he can adapt to any scheme. If you want him to be, you know, this guy that is your dump-off threat out of the slot in the Jarvis Landry role, I think he can do that. If you want him to be a dynamic down-the-field player, I think he can do that as well. So I'm going to love wherever he goes because he's just that talented of a player. I get it. This is one of your guys. I'm a little bit lower on, on him than you are. I currently have uh, a late second, early third round grade on him. But, you know, the age does help. It's one of the things sure. we talked about with Calvin Ridley is that if you're going to draft an older guy, he needs to contribute right away. 
And with more, if there is a developmental time, like a lot of times receivers take two to three years to develop, you know, he's still going to be, what, 23 years old at that point. And if that's when he comes on, you're you're in perfectly fine shape. So I think that more as a secondary option, even a third option, kind of the way Juju Smith was this past year, where, you know, someone goes down, he steps up into that role, and they kind of groom him for that number two, number one job eventually. I think that's a, a position that he can really succeed in. The funny thing about Juju is he had a lot of the same things that we're talking about with Moore and a lot of people worried about his ability to separate but that's a young guy that found himself in a situation where he wasn't forced into the starting lineup earned a spot and then look how that turned out for Pittsburgh went in the bottom part of the second round again if DJ Moore falls the second or third round I'm not I'm not going to be concerned because he can absolutely outproduce his draft position he's definitely going to be a fun guy to track both throughout the process and in his NFL career because his ceiling is extremely high. Marcus, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosier. Um, done with Bleacher Report NFL 1000 for the season, but right now I'm working at Pro Football Weekly. I have an interesting running back uh, column coming out on Thursday uh, where we tracked and charted every single running back in the 2018 class by the number of blockers in the box or blockers and defenders in the box. It's going to be an interesting piece. We're going to talk a little bit about Saquon Barkley, but make sure you guys are looking out for that on Thursday. Marcus, thanks again for joining us. He's Marcus Mosher. I'm Elliot Christ. You're listening to the Draft Daily Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. As always, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs>